Glocal, podcast on locally incubated global technology powerhouses. There's no billion dollar company, there's no idea. We can be the one that's ruling the world for the home services. Cleansy is a home services marketplace, a very operational model which I believe is really hard to scale, but Taiga, the founder, believes can easily become a billion dollar company that would rule the world in this vertical. Let's see what he has to say. Welcome, Taiga. Hi, Miss. It's really intriguing to me that you've started Cleansy while you were only 22, and since it's not a sexy mobile app or a gaming company or a cool AI startup, what pushed you towards becoming a or starting a home services marketplace? in a place like Turkey? Basically, when I was in college, uh, I started to work with my father's company, which is a sports-related marketing solutions company. At that time, I was kind of an intern. So I was dealing with Turkish Airlines and TEB or any other big corporates. And I was trying to sell them some events or like technological games to their customers. And it's all related with sports. I understand that, okay, I should have a my own startup with my own culture and doing things. At that time, I started to create something like Uber. It was 2012, 2013. So basically, Turkey doesn't have any Uber at that time. I talked with my uh, co-founders. They are all technical guys. Um, and they said, okay, we're going to be partners and uh, we're going to do whatever it takes for the software part. I said, okay, I will trust my operational muscles. Government created a new rule. Like, if you want to do this, you should have at least 50 cars. So basically, it's like millions, and I don't have that money. Trying to find the biggest market. So basically, we started for the cleaning, uh, child care, and elderly care. So it wasn't only cleaning, you were actually doing child care and pet care or elderly care as well. Exactly. And the child care was running a lot faster than the cleaning. Because at that time, I go to the universities and talk with the FMB management guys said okay guys while you were uh, studying in the university come and like earn some money and they were all okay we were working with them as a part-time contract but if a cleaner or any other uh, worker works four days in a month government needs to have the 26 days insurance from them so at at the end of two months they approached me that okay we we have lots of debt to the SGK, the insurance social security platform so i said okay i'm gonna pay them but we cannot work like this so i'm gonna hire them all so it was like 10 cleaners with no customers because i don't have any budget and i I didn't understand to do marketing and that kind of stuff and then like the costs are going super fast customers not coming that fast and i was like okay right now i think i'm not gonna run this company because it's not going well and I talked with my co-founders that, okay, guys, we cannot do this because of the costs and everything. We cannot find the customers. While we were having the customers, the retention was too low. That's why we cannot do this. And they said, okay, give us a one chance and let's work with the companies because they are good at their job and we can find the customers while they were doing the trainings and everything. And we said, okay. So just to get it straight, um, you're saying that you were doing childcare. You then moved towards cleaning because you saw that there's more problem in cleaning from a supply perspective. You onboarded your supply. You had zero demand, exactly. but demand didn't have any retention anyway. So you had to find B2B customers to be able to seed that supply with some demand and have some sort of transactions. But as far as I know, 
you're a solo founder right now. So what happened to your other co-founders in the way? At the beginning, we were doing fine because they were promising me the website and the like operational panel and everything. But at the same time, they had their own job and they, they can't risk their financial career by doing a startup at that time. And because of that, uh, we kind of separated for a one and a half year. I didn't pay anything for the technological part. While the company was growing and scaling, it was so hard to maintain that business model. So that's why we created our own team for the technical part. So what were the advantages or disadvantages of being a solo founder? I mean, if you were to start all over again, would you again be a solo founder? Or what's your ideal team size for a company like Cleansy? Right now, we have eight different heads in the company. They're all like my co-founders. They all have stock options. Lots of them are vested. I'm really glad to have them. If I started a new company, I think I would have one technical guy in the company as a co-founder, but I will find like eight, nine core people and give them the stocks and team is creating the difference. Like everybody was saying, okay, guys, what is your difference between the competitors? Like my main difference is the team. That's why we are succeeding. Going back to what you said about B2B. So after you seeded and focused on the B2B portion of the business, um, you then generated demand and had huge traction in B2C. Is that, again, the strategy you're pursuing while you're going to different markets? Supplier was B2B. Working with the cleaning companies while we were like giving service to the B2C. At that time, we don't have any B2B uh, clients. But at the same time, like we were lack of funding. I only spent like 150k to this job. Trying to find the bulk money to run with because when we are getting the money, we were splitting to the B2C customers and the marketing and that kind of stuff. That was the first point that we started for the B2B. And right now, like B2B, at least 40%, at most 60%. Because of the economical situations in Turkey, right now the B2B side is too riskier. But while we are expanding to Europe, we started with the B2C, we lowered the all commissions, and then right now working with the Airbnb management companies, pretty big ones, and shifting to B2B part as well. It's going to be all B2B, like 30-40% in any other markets that we entered. But the main focus is B2C because we can create more value. We can add more value to that kind of services. So you started initially in a very populated city like Istanbul. But like as you've said, there are some disadvantages of being in Turkey given the macroeconomic situation. But what were the advantages of starting in Turkey in a city like Istanbul, which is really populated with mediocre disposable income, but a good amount of businesses and white collar people looking for cleaning on a periodic basis. Yeah, for the beginning, like when I snap my finger, I usually have 100, 200 customers. While we were expanding, expanding to Europe, the like minimum wage or the average cost of the team is too low. That's why we can do whatever we can in Turkey. We, we are experimenting new things. We are trying to make tests every day, every week for like 10, at least 12 times. So it's kind of a playground for us. We try to do everything in Turkey. And then if it's work, we are going to try them in Milan or Barcelona as well. Turkey for you was your initial market because you found your first customers, given your network. You were able to do the technology part of the business really fast and you were able to experiment with different models to get to product market fit as fast as possible. Yeah, and we had really, really cool operational muscle while we were working in Istanbul because it's like basically bigger than some of the European countries. So we, are, we were claiming that, okay, if we can work in Istanbul, we can work like wherever it is. So that's why it's, it gives us lots of like 
the demand side, supply side, different problems, different risks and everything. That's why it was a good initiating point for us. And when did you decide you have to go outside? I mean, when was Turkey not big enough and you pushed to experiment with different international markets like Italy? So there's a big lie. Like they're always saying that Turkey has a young population, really like crowded one, but it's not. So I sensed, okay, I'm, I'm going to take a risk and talk with the investors that I'm going to expanding to Europe. The moment that I started to send some emails to the European investors that we are expanding to Milan, they started to reply me back. First, it was Athens, by the way. Like we were planning to expand in Athens and then for the economical structure, we sensed that, okay, it's not going to work and we choose Milan to start with. Let me cut you there a bit. So as you've said, different markets have different dynamics. I mean, Athens versus Milan have very different dynamics in terms of disposable income, consumer adoption, competitive landscape, etc. Yeah. Um, how do you assess and identify which markets to go after? I get that you have a certain playbook while you're entering a market, but do you have that similar playbook while you're assessing a market? Yeah, right now we have more than 12 cities to consider. Uh, we have lots of different formulas for that. The first one is the unemployment rate. So basically it's based on a supplier. So if you want to find the best quality supplier, the unemployment rate should be high. It helps us to find the reliable cleaning ladies or cleaning guys. The second one is the population. If they're going to enter to a new market, the first city should be more than 1 million population. For example, we expanded to Milan and three months later we expanded to Turin, which is like not more than 500k population. So basically, we can run all the operations and business through Milan. So it's kind of good expansion point for us. The other one is the transportation easiness. Our software was claiming that we are showing the best match jobs to the best cleaners. So if it's more than six kilometers from their houses, it can be a problem. They can be late. They're, they're not claiming the jobs. They're having some problems while they were going to the job. Transportation easiness is a thing. And basically, of course, the minimum hourly wage. If it's too high, like Zurich, it can be a really problem because you cannot find any uh, reliable cleaners. They are all making really good money. It, it shouldn't be so low because while we are entering, we are trying to get some money. And we have six, seven different matters that we are looking for. Right now we are evaluating all and the next market is going to be Barcelona and Madrid. Great. So just to sum that up, um, what you're saying is if you're doing an operational business where the transaction happens offline and it's a services business, you look at different things like unemployment rate, transportation easiness, population, but you also said technology, meaning your technology actually matches the closest cleaner. Talking about technology a bit, um, as I've said, the transaction is happening offline, but some portion of the value proposition is before and after actually the cleaning happens. So what are some parts of the business that you're fully trying to automate and what's the end goal there from a product perspective? While we were assessing the competitors, we saw that no one in the world creating an algorithm to match the best job with the best cleaner. So basically our system is trying to understand how a cleaner performs or trying to show you the jobs not more than five kilometers. So basically this can create a really good retention for the customer side and the cleaner side because while they were working with us they are getting really good money they can earn more while they were going to the closest jobs because like each transportation that they use costs any money money and time this is the most important one and the other one um, these guys should earn their money while they are feeling 
a community sense. They are doing a really hard job, but we are saying that, okay, you are part of a family, you're going to be much more awarded when you are performing well, you're going to be successful, and everybody was going to see that you are a cleaning professional. We are not that calling them cleaner, they are cleaning professional. That helps us a lot. That while we were looking for their MPS, Net Promoter Score, it's like 58. So it's too high. They are really bonding with us. Uh, and while the client says that let's bypass the system, you're going to earn 10 Turkish liras or 5 euros more, they're saying, no, this is my family. I should work in the cleansy. And that's how I can earn a, a small gold or a free transportation for a month. So the technology actually works to increase retention while also providing more liquidity to the marketplace as you satisfy the de demand and supply uh, more and more. But you've mentioned the disintermediation problem there. So the circumvention might become a huge issue in a model like Cleansy. It might even cause a company to fail completely. And I totally understand that Cleansy provides matching, trust, um, payments, insurance, etc. in the first transaction. But after the buyer and seller has worked together a couple of times, isn't that a big issue? And do you have some technology that's trying to at least understand this intermediation problem and then take necessary measures to limit as much as possible. So basically we are trying to avoid the bypass for the system, but sometimes they're bypassing the system because like lack of community feeling or the customer can say that, okay, there is no value for me from Cleansy. All of the cleaning ladies has the application. So they are claiming the jobs, seeing the uh, new jobs or they, their income or their stars and feedbacks. When they open their app, so they are, using it for 13 minutes per day so it's a quite high and there's no content on it only jobs only income only feedbacks uh, they're spending a lot of time and while they were working in the jobs they're checking it because we are sending them push notification and when they opened it we take their location they said okay they are tracking us and if we do something like this they're gonna catch us approximately 2500 turkish euros per month they are earning like the most successful one is earning 7,000 Turkish shiras. They cannot lose us. So Cleansy is more than 50% of their income. So they need Cleansy more than Cleansy needs them. And through your location services in your technology, you're able to track this intermediation problem and potentially cut people out from the system. Yeah, it's all about the segments. So basically there's an elite segment, the highest one. They should go more than 22 jobs per month and has a rate more than 4.7 stars. So they are trying to get the stars and get the jobs to maintain their status, see the jobs at the first hour, only the elite ones seeing the jobs at the first hour. And then they, are, they have the free transportation for a month and the most successful ones has a real goal. When you say that, okay, you're gonna earn 10 Turkish euros more, their goal is to obtain the free transportation for a month and the actual gold. That's why they are saying that no. At the same time, of course, we have some things for the clients as well as uh, insurance. But still, I believe the supply satisfaction is key. It's even more important than the demand satisfaction in a business like Cleansy, since you earn money through people doing the service. So you need people to do service to get customers might be the easier portion if you compare the two. Exactly. So 20% is making the 80% of the jobs or while they were working in an account as an accountant or teacher or any other jobs, at the weekends, they can earn more. We have really high demand. We are always trying to manage the supplier side. These are actually really good tips um, on the business. 
But the market and its venturability is still a question mark with recent examples that gave investors bad taste like Homejoy or Handy. Uh, what makes you certain that those examples should not set any precedent? And do you think they failed because of the circumvention problem? I'm really sick and tired of Homejoy examples. Uh, it's been five or six years. They like spend a lot of money. They raise from Google and uh, lots of really top tier VCs. But while they were growing, so it was the first one. They didn't have any experience about cleaning stuff. They made lots of mistakes. Handy made lots of these mistakes, but they had money. When we are trying to bootstrap and solving the problems, they were uh, spending money on it, throwing money on it. Throwing money is the last option for us. For them, it was the first option. That's why they couldn't have the retention. They couldn't have the satisfaction of the cleaner. They didn't have the matching algorithms or any other stuff like that. That's why we are getting the information from the competitors' mistakes. We are a little bit more advantaged. While I was checking our European competitors as well, they raised $70 million. We raised only $2 million. But we have a more structured business for the supplier side. We have the algorithm. We have retention. So basically, we have 49% of second, second month retention. It's too high. Our benchmark was 8%, 10%. And the like, Homejoy was shut down because they couldn't go up from the 15%. They were claiming that if we were 35%, we're going to be alive and we're going to be profitable. Uh, what you've said is that you have the practical mind of the Turkish people and the fact that you cannot pour money into problems actually helped you. Given that you were in Turkey, you cannot pour money into problems. But out of all those competitors that you've mentioned, direct or indirect out there, Uh, which one is the one company that you look up and aspire to win against in the long term? So Handy and Homejoy are bad examples. What's a good example in this uh, vertical? Basically, there is not. They are not good because there is no billion dollar company. There is no IPO. So that's why we are creating the, our own way for the suppliers. We get inspired for the network marketing companies like Avon, Mway, Forever Living Products. We are getting lots of feedbacks from any other services marketplaces. And we are trying to be the first one. This creates two things. One, advantage. There is no billion dollar company. There is no IPO. We can be the one that ruling the world for the home services. The other one is when we are trying to convince the VCs from Europe or US, they're always saying, okay, there's a home joy fact. But I mean, as a marketplace where the transaction happens offline, CleanSeas is a very operational business. Um, the buyer and the seller are local domestically. And um, I believe there's a low technology barrier to entry So it feels like there might be a number of local or regional players that can execute better than international players entering the market from abroad. So it may actually end up being a very, very fragmented market. What's your take on this? Armut raised a lot, one of our competitors, and Temizik Yolda raised a lot when you compete for us. But Armut raised four million dollars, and it was a really good thing for us to compete with a Turkish giant while we were like managing in Turkey. Right now, like in Italy, we are looking for the competitors while we were entering the market. In Italy, Helpling is not spending a lot of money or time or their resources to Italy because it's too small for them. They're looking for London, they're looking for Berlin, they're looking for any others like Singapore. While they were not paying attention to those small markets, we were like spending money, sharing our knowledge and do whatever is good in Istanbul. And it's helping us a lot. In Spain, we have three or four competitors. They're all VC-backed, but at most $1 million. dollars. So basically, while we were entering Spanish market, we are going to be the most funded one. A Turkish startup, 
is the most funded one in a market. I get what you're saying, the fact that you are the most funded uh, in a place like Spain or you are the one that's spending the most money in a place like Italy. But is that a sustainable advantage? I mean, in the long run, if another company, say from Spain, raises a three or a five million euro round, don't they have a certain advantage compared to a competitor that's coming from abroad like yourself? In the most saturated market, it was US, by the way, by far, it's 5% at most. So basically, if someone, if one of our competitors raise more, it's a good sign for us because while we were spending uh, euros or dollars to expand the market, they are spending that kind of euros as well. And if we do what, what we do, like the algorithms and the supplier side parties and everything, we think that we are going to be the leader because it's, it's always good. I, I don't want to go into the market. There is no competitor. I guess what you're saying is if I stay on top, in place like Italy or Spain or Turkey, then I am the largest one, which is good. If other competitors also raise big money, that means the market is expanding so much that there can be multiple winners. It's fine. I think that's a really valid argument. Yeah, because like if you have the best service, you're not changing your cleaning lady. The thing is to sustain your performance quality while you were growing. I think if they're gonna raise more from us, if they're faster than us, they're gonna make some mistakes. We already did that mistakes in Turkey. I just realized that I never asked you about your traction. I mean, I follow you on Twitter, so I know you've passed 500 orders per day, I guess last month. But how big is your traction? Can you give us in terms of number of um, house units, GMV, anything that you can provide? At our highest peak, we did 824 jobs per day. So it was a quite strong one. In two countries, right? Yeah, yeah, in two countries, five different cities, Turin, Milan, Ankara, Izmir, Istanbul. So basically we have more than 2,500 cleaning ladies and 1,250 active cleaners. Right now, the 60% of the revenue coming from the B2C side, 40% coming from the B2B, and we have doing lots of marketing activities in the homes. Like, for example, we are getting the cleaning supplies for free and charging to the customers. For last five or six weeks, it's more than 10% week over week growth. 10% week over week growth. I mean, that's amazing. Yeah, that's that's amazing because of the starting from the Black Friday, we create lots of discounts for the first orders for the new customers. So we were looking for like we started for the 39 Turkish shiras and then 59 Turkish shiras and right now it's 69. We're increasing the amount of uh, average order size and at the same time we are looking for the CTRs or like conversion rates. For me, the best thing is going to be 89, 99 Turkish shiras per cleaning at the first order. But right now we are at the 69. So it's growing a lot by sustaining the retention. So I guess the key is having high retention so that you have the flexibility to cut down the prices, cannibalize the market, penetrate further, and even kill com competition if you want to. But out of your current markets, and I'm counting Spain in as well, um, because you're expanding there now, which market are you the most bullish on? Is it Italy, Spain, or Turkey? The path is going to be like starting from Milan, then Turin, then Barcelona, then Madrid, then Paris, then London. While we were expanding to London, I think it's going to be one of our biggest markets. And then we are going to start thinking of the Northeast and Southeast Asia. We are like looking at all of the competitors for the B2B side and B2C side, like ISS or any other big corporate cleaning companies or help link any other 
uh, Northeast Asia Home Services Marketplace. So if there is a possibility to go into Singapore faster than ISS, we will be there and get the market share and then says, okay, guys, you cannot come into this market because we are here uh, right now. We are the market leader. Go away. Go find another, any other country. We are bullish in every market. Wow, that's a really aggressive expansion mindset. And I liked it. I loved it, actually. But that requires a lot of funding. And let's go back to your initial days first. I mean, you've done your initial seed rounds in Turkey. How tough was it? Yeah, in Turkey, it's easy to like found it for 250k dollars at the seed. And then things are getting too complicated. We raised 1.3 million dollars at our Series A round. And it was the hardest one. While we were like really okay with the investor, but the current environment didn't allow us to get the money and start growing. So right now we are trying to raise $5 million and we already have commitment from our internal VC. It shows us that, okay, if we are in a good way, of course there's a disadvantages in Turkey, but uh, we have really good talents in IT, talents in marketing, and we are creating a really cool culture in the company. And we are like passing that culture to Milan, Torin, or Spain. Basically, all of our country managers is coming to Turkey to get some orientation, the culture, and the trainings in Turkey. Well, I was going to ask you that, but I got my answer. I was going to ask you how you sustain the culture across borders, but that was that's an amazing answer. Thank you. I'm also going to ask you about our next round. I mean, the fact that you operate in multiple cities in places like Italy and Spain should theoretically ease your fundraising. But I also know that in Europe, a lot of the VCs want to invest into domestic businesses, meaning businesses where the HQ and the founders are also domesticated in that specific country. If not all of your employees almost are based in Turkey, should be problematic while you're raising from European VCs. What's your take on that? Do you think you'll be able to onboard some European VCs in this round? Um, yeah, we are like having problems while we were trying to convince European VCs. I'm not talking about the US like top tier VCs because they are not even looking for Turkey. The, the biggest problem is that we are operating in Turkey. It's like a toxic for them. Uh, but as you know, they have a really good appetite for Europe. Um, so we are trying to find ones that has a really risk appetite. 2008, 2009, 2010, 11, Turkey was a really cool market. All of the top tier VCs was trying to come Turkey. So they know the potential of the country. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see what's going to happen on that. But if you were to do it all over again, would you follow a similar path? Meaning, would you start and grow in Turkey, raise some money, automate processes in the business, achieve a good product market fit, and then start expanding internationally? Is that a good strategy to pursue? I think no. The, the team should be in Turkey because of the talents, cheapness and everything. Like, for example, we expanded to Milan and then Ankara and then Turin and then we are going to expand more in Turkey. We are looking for global expansion, but if I'm going to do anything more than CleanZ, my biggest concern is to create a platform that can give services or like sell products to all over the world. I'm not going to be a local one. I'm going to be the global global one right now. We are multi-local business, not a global business. It's, it's really hard. But the nature of your business actually required you to start somewhere domestically, penetrate the market to provide liquidity to the marketplace. Um, I, th I guess this was nature of the business of being a home services marketplace. As a last question, what makes you wake up every day hoping that one day you will get there? Meaning, what's one thing that you wish will happen in the next five or 10 years and then you're satisfied and you think it's good enough for CleanZy? Biggest thing that attracting us to be in the every home in Turkey. So 
we started with the cleaning and then furniture assembly and i think we're gonna be giving a lot more services in the future like painting handyman or any other stuff we are not gonna be a horizontal marketplace of course we are gonna be much more verticals but we are trusting in this business model it succeeds right now it's gonna be successful in the future as well i don't have any valuation in my mind my goal is to create easiness for the people both for the customers and the supplier side because we are changing the world for them so customers can book through cleansy in one one and a half minute and like get a really good uh, experience on that at the same time like we are affecting more than 4000 5000 families in turkey and in italy so it gives us a really good feeling while we were changing it because i know lots of cleaning ladies who create a new life for them while they were earning really good incomes from cleansy if we are expanding our services changing lives and making life easier and giving some free time to the both cleaners and the customers or any other supplier this is my main vision i mean this is a very very impactful business so i'm on the same page here meaning that you you actually create impact in the markets that you go after so i hope one day you will actually be global in almost all cities all over the world our vision is making life easier and creating some valuable time with this vision we believe that we can create something like instacart home delivery startup or home cleaning startup or furniture assembly or handyman i don't know whatever you think we are eventually going to become a really um, big platform for home services or any other service that you were looking for so this will become an end to end home services company sometime in the future expanding regionally globally and also horizontally it was a pleasure taiga hopefully we'll meet again sometime next year after your series a and see how things go and catch up hopefully thanks for the chance it was a really wonderful conversation for me like like every time we did so thank you and taiga's belief in product to make the service more scalable is key and his ambition to experiment and learn by doing is really inspiring this is the end of the episode To remind you our website is theglocal.co our instagram is @theglocalpodcast and my twitter is @enishuli thank you for listening and see you in the next episode